Get your gear ready. This is a Sherpa's Guide to Innovation. Greetings, and welcome to A Sherpa's Guide to Innovation, a podcast dedicated to guiding you along your innovation expedition. This is Ben Tingey, and I'm your host. Our Sherpas in our studio today come from the innovation engine at Carolina's Healthcare System. We have Ann Summers Hogg, Jay Gerhardt, and Will Behrman. Ann Summers, Jay, Will, welcome to the program today. Thanks for having us, Ben. Thanks, Ben. Good morning. Howdy. Good morning. Good morning. Well, in our previous episode, we um, discussed the uh, disruptive innovation theory from Clayton Christensen and some of its applications. Uh, particularly, we talked about uh, using Airbnb as a case study, and we, we applied the theory to Airbnb. Today, we'll continue our discussion on disruptive innovation, but this time we will apply it to the healthcare industry. Uh, so I'm going to open it up with a very general question to, to uh, get our conversation started. Um, what are the disruptions in healthcare that we can no longer ignore? Maybe in summers, let, let's start with you. That's a great question, Ben, and I'm sure Jay and Will will have a lot to add, but I'll just throw one thought out there, which is that one we really have to pay attention to in healthcare right now is all of the disruptors, both from the low-end disruption as well as the new market disruption perspective, that are attacking healthcare in the realm of primary care. So primary care is the entryway into the healthcare system, and that's where a lot of disruptors are entering right now. And one that I think is a really interesting example is Iora Health. And In the last episode, we talked about how disruption happens because of the business model. It's a new business model that really creates the disruption. And in Iora Health's model, they've really made the health coach king. So they really leverage health coaches, which is not a traditional asset or resource, if you will, that is used in traditional primary care uh, that is delivered by health systems. So I think Iora Health is is a really interesting example and actually a, a good example of a low-end and a new market disruption. So I'd ask Will and Jay what, what they think about that one or others that we can no longer ignore. I think I think Iora is a great place to, to start. Um, I think in terms of the type of disruption it, it is, uh, I'll be interested to hear your, your thoughts on the low-end piece of it. I, I tend to think about it more in the realm of new market disruption because what they're bringing is a care model that really engages more people and gets them really utilizing more primary care than they otherwise might. They, the people either might not seek it, they might not use it in ways that are really uh, – benefiting their health as much. But Iora, Iora is very much a value play. It's very much population health. They're really focused on the outcomes of getting people healthier. So I tend to view them more as new market disruption, but uh, eager to hear what others say. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think um, you know, one good example of uh, low-end disruption and new market disruption is actually Minute Clinic as well. You know, they've been around for uh, you know, since 2000 and uh, really came into the market at a time when people were looking for not only consistent pricing at a low end, 
but uh, also um, just making it a little bit easier to use, right? So, again, making it uh, new market and uh, low-end disruption. And uh, they've continued to be successful because of that. Um, I don't know what their growth path will be in the future. It's interesting that they haven't been able to get into more of the value-based play, like uh, what we're seeing in IOR. And so it'll be interesting to see if what their long-term uh, you know, sustainability is. But they did a really good job of, of reducing some of the barriers to entry for using basic primary care, on-demand care services. And uh, see how somebody like uh, IOR and One Medical can help to translate that into more of a continuous relationship and engagement, um, again, along those, those areas of disruption. That's what's really changing our, the incumbent systems like ours. Can I jump in? I have a question. So uh, in, in the theory, we talk about you know new market disruption where you're targeting non-consumers. But is it always non-consumers? Could it be those consumers that are just using it less frequently? So in the example of IR Health, you know, people might still be getting their once or twice a year annual visit at a traditional incumbent primary care office, but switching to IR, now they're getting more touch points throughout the year. Does that I mean, that person was still consuming primary care, but just less frequently? Or do we think that it's people that were not utilizing any primary care at all who are now engaging with IORA Health? And what does the theory speak to about that? I would say it's both. But I would say that they were still non-consumers because just going once or twice a year gives you a couple of data points in your health. Whereas, especially if you want to manage your health long term and you want to avoid something that disrupts your life. Yeah. And from a population health standpoint. Exactly. Yeah. Then it, it really has to be more touch points. It really has to be more data points. It has to be more of a relationship. And, and that's what these are creating. So I would, I would suggest that even if somebody had gone to a primary care doctor once or twice a year, for most folks, that's still not um, utilization. Gotcha. And it's not the type that will change behavior and change outcomes. So when you look at somebody who's uh, you know incentivized around a value-based world where they're getting paid to keep you healthy, that one or two touch points per year isn't going to effectively manage that. And I think Iora has those outcomes to prove its model. And that's one of the reasons why it's been so effective, right? Yes, definitely. And I think to your point of your question about non-consumers, you could also think of it as non-consumption. So it could be someone who, as Will said, has those one or two touch points, but there's a lot of the year where there is non-consumption occurring from that individual. And the IORA model does cause them to interact more and really become a more engaged component of the healthcare offering. I think taking both of these examples together does uh, give a little bit of a contrast and let's talk about really kind of the magnitude of disruption in industry. So if we look at Minute Clinic, one of the things we didn't touch upon as much in the first episode is kind of the pathway that a disruptor may take, particularly at the low end. And they will start with customers that, say, a health system might not be looking at as much, it might not be as high a margin customer, is that Minute Clinic customer. So Minute Clinic comes in, they serve at a lower price point, they serve with uh, nurse practitioners, very uh, a cheaper business model. And then what disruption theory would indicate is that they would move upstream and begin uh, really building a 
upon those services, offering higher scope of services. And we've seen maybe a little bit of that with chronic disease, but uh, uh, perhaps not as much. So they really haven't, what we say, swum upstream as much. What's interesting about Iora, uh, just listening to their CEO spoke speak, they started out a little bit more direct primary t- primary care fees, uh, taking primary care cap. Now they're settling into a Medicare Advantage type of model. I think they're looking much more at full risk. So they are now going from just serving primary care to really disrupting the incumbent healthcare system by taking full cap. They're saying, we're going to look at things from the bottom of the pyramid up. We're going to take primary care and manage the health of, of a whole population. And that seems, that seems a, a, a greater magnitude of, yeah, of disruption. I think one way they've been able to do that so well, in the last podcast on Airbnb, we talked about one of the differentiators in their business model that really allows them to be disruptive is how they leverage underutilized assets that already exist. And in Iora's model, they do a great job utilizing the individual, which traditionally in healthcare, we do not utilize you as an individual consumer, your engagement potential. And Iora Health does that so well. So they can deliver the business model through a lower cost means by leveraging individuals' desire to improve to get back to their life. Well, I'll be curious to see, too, about that. Um, As they move into more risk and and capitation, uh, they're going to have to be able to bend the cost curve upstream. And so I don't think they can rely on incumbent business models in order to manage surgery and imaging and some of these other things. So it'll be interesting to see if they partner to change that curve or if they bring it in-house, right? Theory would typically say that they'll bring it in-house and create their own value chain. Um, And so that's what I'll be curious to see is how do they actually start to move upstream and uh, and take on more of the uh, of the business of healthcare. Yeah, that's that's a great point. You know, scale, scaling their business. How do they scale their yeah. Their, yeah. their business? Because there really is no other example where that's been done yet. I think that's one of the interesting things in healthcare is that we haven't seen those disruptors be able to move upstream in a meaningful effect. And I think Iora is going to be one of the first ones to to attempt that, or to have to try to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to be fascinating to watch. I'm going back to what Ann Summer said. Uh, I'm still fixated on this this phrase of the individual as the underutilized asset in the healthcare system. I can think of some some of our doctors who would really love that, and it's really about patient engagement. And mm-hmm. you know, we've got. But when you look at the industry traditionally, and we have physicians who want to be the QB, and they have the expert expertise. It's having the individual being good enough right. to produce their own own health care and, and to serve in that role that's really intriguing. And you've got the individuals and then Airbnb, we've also got the home. So you've got individuals in their home and we've got other disruptors in the industry. Ann Summers, you're a lot more fluent in this than me, than, uh, who are also trying to serve you in your home as well. Yes, and, and that's a that's a good point. You know, well, when you talked about how Minute Clinic was really one of the first low end disruptors in terms of primary care, they undercut the cost curve of traditional primary care, and now we're seeing 
Minute Clinic, the original disruptor, being potentially disrupted by new entrants that are delivering care to people's home. So an example, doctors making house calls. It's exactly what it sounds like. A doctor will deploy to your house and provide what you would have gone to urgent care or gone to minute clinic or to your primary care doctor for. So really eliminating the bricks and mortar altogether and bringing the service straight to you. And as with a lot of other disruptors in other industries, technology is helping to enable a lot of this too, right? So people live in their homes. That's where they spend most of their time. And uh, they generate a lot of data on their health, right? The level of activity, the level of inactivity, what they eat, that kind of thing. But what they, what most people don't know is how to interpret that and what do you do with all that data. You can even get data on your peak flow and things of that nature if you've got asthma. And so working with that physician to try to help um, interpret that data and make course corrections in somebody's activity I think is what's fascinating and where the disruptions will start to come in the home. To your point, Jay, I think uh, the, the, the doctor will still be the quarterback, but they're going to have a different role, right? It's like paying a pass offense versus a run offense, and they're going to have to work better with their running backs and their blocking backs in order to move the ball rather than just throw it down the field in a long bomb. And so I think that there's, uh, it will be real fascinating to see what kind of team is put together, again, like our health has done, to help that quarterback in order to be able to, uh, to, to manage the plays, to manage the person, to manage their health with them, and to use some of that information and data that's generated by people in order to understand uh, how to better keep them on a healthy track and out of illness. Yeah, I, I like the way you brought up what we talked about in our first episode that it's not the technology that's the disruptor, and the technology enables a disruptive business model to exactly. be the disruptor. So, what are some of the technologies emerging that are enabling or accelerating these, these uh, new companies that is um, providing the accelerant for their business models to be disruptive in an industry that has been so difficult to? Uh, uh, invade. <laughs> I don't know if that's the right word, but uh, to, virtual to disrupt. Care, virtual care is the first one that I think of. And, you know, we FaceTime with our families and our friends all the time. And why shouldn't we FaceTime, quote unquote, with our doctors? And there are a lot of virtual technology platforms out there that are enabling lower cost business models to emerge. And I, I think that's a that's a really big one that that is out there. There are a lot of companies, American Well is one, that they are a technology platform that allows healthcare systems or independent docs to provide virtual visits to their patients. So they're technology enabling disruptive business models, but again, not the disruption itself. And we're just scratching the surface on the impact of virtual care. I mean, we have virtual visits now. It hasn't been uni- universally adopted by by consumers or providers yet, but but we're getting there. I mean, the technology is there. People uh, as people get used to it, interested to see what what happens with devices and AI, things like the the Amazon Echo or the Amazon Show. I mean, being able to just say, "Hey Alexa, I've got a sinus infection. What do I do about it?" Now, is that a disruptive innovation for the healthcare industry? Well, we have to see what the business model is around it and what happens to the value chain around it. But, 
you know, those are some of the technologies that are there. Of course, everything in predictive analytics, too, right? So what a lot of these things help us to do is to be able to be proactive about our health and activity. So, you know, um, again, for Alexa, there are, I know, some uh, companies that are working on uh, being able to analyze how somebody interacts socially, either with Alexa or through Facebook and some of these others, to help determine if they've got anxiety or depression going on, right? The whole use of genomics. Um, and as we learn more about what our genome um, pretends for our future and future potential health issues, uh, I think that's all going to be rolled into it and really help change, if not disrupt, probably disrupt um, the cost curve around health. Because, again, it's more information that we now have available that we didn't have 10 years ago to help understand someone's future uh, life and disease state. And so I think uh, there's a lot of interesting technologies that we don't know how to use yet, but that are going to drive rapid change in both the business and clinical models. And I, I know, Ann Summers, you know a lot more about the genomics and the, where that disruption is. Why don't you fill that in a little bit more? Sure. I'm so glad you brought that up, Will. And I think that genomics actually paired with primary care is going to be a really interesting disruptor. So listeners may be familiar with 23andMe. If not, the concept is you spit in a tube, you send off in the mail your DNA, and you hear back in a few weeks all of the different potential carrier traits you may have for everything from which finger is going to be longest to what are my predispositions for disease later in life. And customers are now consuming this information, of which they were previously non-consumers, and the healthcare system isn't quite sure how to integrate that. There's no place in the EMR to enter my outcomes from 23andMe. But what we're starting to see is large healthcare systems partnering with these genomic startup organizations to offer these services to their patients. So I believe truly the genomic partnerships and those business models that are forming through those partnerships are what's going to be disruptive. One example is Innova in Northern Virginia, they have integrated genomics into almost everything that they do. And I saw recently that North Shore in Chicago has announced that they're going to offer genomic testing in all of their primary care visits. So is there more models like Iora Health that are moving towards total, like taking on total risk for the lives that they're in charge of? Having that genomic data and being able to leverage it for population health management is going to be key. So does that make genomics really a disruptive innovation, or does it make it more of a sustaining innovation? I think you said it earlier, to pair with a more disruptive primary care model. I'm trying to figure out what the business yeah. model would be for genomics to be disruptive I think, I think right on now, its own. Right now, it's definitely in the sustaining realm. Yeah. The pharmacogenomics work helps us to better uh, accelerate the appropriate care process in a lot of areas because you know what is the best medication for you. It's used a lot in oncology. It's starting to be used a lot more in behavioral health medications. Um, I think how we translate that into a completely new business model will probably come out because, again, right now what we're doing is we're just using that information to improve our current processes. But I bet as we get more predictive and we understand more of the uh, the genome and how it impacts your future health state, then we'll have a great opportunity because what we'll be able to do is we'll be able to stem off some of the downstream health effects, whereas now we're just basically trying to keep up with them and to address them quicker with our use of genomics. But I bet we'll end up getting more predictive and that'll end up creating a, a, 
a disruptive business model that will probably merge more with primary care, I would think. Um, but it could also be independent and separate of a primary care model. Sure. And there's applications in the specialty care a lot. Uh, uh, realm as well. Yeah. I really like that question. Is it sustaining or is it disruptive? And I go back to Clay's theory of it always depends on what you're comparing it to. So disruptive disruption is relative to whatever it's being compared to. If I think about things like 23andMe, I view that as disruptive because previously people were non-consumers of their genetic information. And 23andMe really created a business model and created a pathway for people to consume that awareness. And over time, it'll be interesting to see how those non-consumers take that information as it becomes more ubiquitous. And how do they skirt the healthcare system? How do they no longer go to the doctor for the expertise that they used to have to pay for because they have it? Or companies like Helix, who uh, basically they have a platform and they want to be like the app store for genetic solutions. So you would do one test, they would hold your DNA, and then you could buy multiple products around your genetic information through Helix. So I think it'll be interesting. Your Will you point to right now, yes, many of the ways it's being deployed are sustaining, and it's a great question. I'm going to hold out and say I truly believe there's potential for huge disruption there. But I think if you, even if you look at the evolution from 23andMe to companies like uh, Helix or like AssureRx, right? So you went from being able to say here is your genomic results to saying here are the implications of those. And with AssureRx, you can get a panel of a certain you know, uh, genes that will help you uh, determine best medications. I know that's how we've, we've applied it with, uh, for behavioral health. And so all of a sudden, you're getting not just a what, but a what do I do with it, right? How do I use this information? How do I start to move forward? How can I work with my physician to create a better path? And you're right. I think the next thing is going to become when it becomes more direct-to-consumer, which won't necessarily be in the pharmacy area because, again, you've got to have that intermediary to make that um, prescription. But I think as it gets more direct-to-consumer with the implications and the what do I do with this information, that's when we're going to start seeing disruption because then the traditional providers uh, could be eliminated from that model. And when we look at healthcare globally and from a policy perspective, we all know the cost. And we think about disruptive innovation at the low end. It's usually things that uh, the incumbents don't think it's a performance level that's good enough. It's something, you know, it's got to be higher than that. But people are going to be seeking things on their own, uh, in their home, using their computer. And the more that they are are navigating outside the, quote, healthcare system, then they are doing things that the healthcare system might not think is really good enough for their health. Right. Their health. But if there are disruptors out there that are actually helping consumers do that in in some way, that that could ultimately be cobbled together in some form of business model that would be That's disruptive. Right. Well, you think about it too. I mean, there's really three main drivers, large categories of health and healthcare. You've got um, the the issues around g- genetics, right? What's your makeup and what does it portend for your future? You've got behaviors or social demographic d- 
determinants of health, right? But a lot of that's behavior-based. And then you've just got trauma-type-related things, right, if you get in a car wreck or something of that nature. And so if we could address one of the larger, you know, one of the three, and probably the larger one of those, which is genetics, and probably how genetics and behavior start to interact, right? And we can bend that curve. We can bend the cost curve in healthcare, I believe, because right now we're treating a lot of people with a disease characteristic the same, and not knowing whether it's a behavior issue or a genomic issue. Once we can have a better understanding of whether it's genetics or behavior, well, then you've got two different ways to address it and approach it. And I think you can start to make more of, a, uh, more of an impact. And that's what I'm excited about, right, is how can we get some of this information working with a business model similar to Iora that has a, a more consistent um, interaction with patients and really come up with a, a much uh, uh, more optimistic hope at a lower cost um, process that creates better outcomes. I just read a quote from Guy Singer, CEO, recently that was somewhere along the lines of ultimately looking to put his hospitals out of business. Absolutely. And, and it's the ultimate shift from fee-for-service to value, right. and that is what is the ultimate disruption. And how you do it as an incumbent is probably a discussion for another time or perhaps a sub- subsequent episode. Yeah, and as part of that discussion, as we think about, Will, you pointed to the behaviors and the social determinants of health, and we can't change people's genetics, but once we understand more about those, we can help them create behaviors that will help them achieve uh, optimal health. I think another highly underutilized asset in our healthcare system right now is registered dietitians and advice around nutrition and what's going to work for different people based on their genetic predispositions. So that is a, com- a topic for another time. But as we think about those true determinants of health, that's a asset we can better leverage in order to disrupt the current environment. A lot of great opportunities for future disruption. Yeah. Well, it's apparent to me that uh, the healthcare industry is is ripe and, and there are things already happening that uh, make it an exciting place to apply disruptive innovation theory. Um, and Summers, Will, Jay, thanks so much for your time in the studio today. We uh, are excited about our next episode. Jay alluded to it. Um, uh, so n- join us next time as we discuss why it's wise for organizations to get ahead and try to disrupt themselves before they uh, get disruptive. So we're, uh, we'll be excited about that uh, awesome. next time. Great conversation today. Appreciate it. Awesome. Well, this has been Tingy. See you next time. <laughs> <laughs>